A technologically advanced society hiding in plain sight in the continent of Africa? Let's go to Cobb's Corner. Hello, Cobb's Corner family, and welcome back to Cobb's Corner. This episode will be a review of Black Panther. This is by far one of my favorite MCU films, so let's just jump right into it. The film opens with a father explaining to his son the origins of the African nation of Wakanda. Before the age of man, the continent of Africa was struck by a meteorite made of vibranium, the strongest and rarest metal on Earth, affecting the Earth and the plant life in that area. When the age of man came, five tribes settled on the land and called it Wakanda. After years of war between the tribes, a warrior shaman was led to the heart-shaped herb by the panther goddess Bast, and he was told to eat the herb, which gave him superhuman strength, speed, and instincts. The warrior became king and was crowned the first Black Panther, the protector of Wakanda. While the merchant, mining, river, and border tribes all agreed to live under the Black Panther's rule, the Jabari tribe isolated themselves in the mountains. While Wakanda thrived, the rest of the world fell into chaos. So Wakanda hid their technological advancement from the world in plain sight, where they remain to this day. We then cut to Oakland, California in the year 1992. Oakland was also the birthplace of the Black Panther Party in the 1960s. We see a group of kids playing basketball, one of which is Eric Stevens. More on him later. In one of the apartments, we see two men, uh, one of which is Eric's father, uh, played by Sterling K. Brown, planning what looks like a heist of some sort. The night is interrupted by the arrival of King T'Chaka, the current king of Wakanda and Black Panther at this at this time, played by South African actor uh, Atwanda Kandi, Eric's father reveals himself to be Prince Njobu, brother of King T'Chaka, played by Sterling K. Brown. T'Challa tells his brother about an attack at the border led by Ulysses Claw, who we met in Avengers Age of Ultron, where a significant amount of Wakandan vibranium was stolen and Claw was Claw knew exactly where it was and where it was all kept. The second man in the apartment reveals himself to be a Wakandan named Zuri, played by Denzel Whitaker in this scene, who has been posing as an American this whole time. Zuri finds vibranium hidden in one of Njobu's jackets, one of his jacket pockets, and T'Chaka tells his brother to go home at once and inform the council of his crimes. We see a Wakandan ship fly off into the night as Eric runs up to his apartment. We then flash forward to the present day, which in the MCU chronology is about the year 2016, although this movie was released in 2018. We see Prince T'Challa, the Black Panther, who we were introduced to in Captain America Civil War, ambush a group of rebels in the forests of Nigeria. He is accompanied by Okoye, the leader of the Dormelage, the, the king's personal guards, you know, Dormelage, most fiercest warriors in all Wakanda, played by Denai Gurira. One of the girls who was captured was a Wakandan named Nakia on an undercover mission. T'Challa's love interest, uh, Nakia, is played by Lupita Nyong'o. Since the passing of King T'Chaka in Captain America Civil War, the throne now falls to T'Challa, and he wishes for Nakia to be in Wakanda for his challenge ceremony. The three of them arrive in Wakanda and fly into the capital city, which is hidden and, dis and disguised as trees. Their ship lands, and they are greeted by the Dormelage, the fiercest warriors in Wakanda, as I mentioned before. 
Now, the king's personal guards. Uh, T'Challa's mother, Queen Ramunda, is played by Angela Bassett, and his sister, Shuri, is played by Letitia Wright. They are also present upon his arrival. Uh, Shuri takes T'Challa's Kimoyo beads, saying how they must be upgraded, and how just because something works doesn't mean that it can't be improved. A nod to how just because a system works for some doesn't mean that it shouldn't be improved to work for everyone. Queen Ramunda mourns the loss of her husband, King T'Chaka, while also looking forward to seeing her son T'Challa take the throne. T'Challa goes to prepare for the challenge ceremony, where we see each of the four tribes represented. Upon T'Challa's arrival, he is re referred to by Zuri, who is older now and played by Forrest Whitaker for the remainder of the, this film, referred to as Prince T'Challa, the Black Panther. The Black Panther tie-in comic confirms that the mantles of Black Panther and King are not the same, and that T'Challa has been serving as the Black Panther since 2009. So at this point, he's been the Black Panther for seven years, even as Prince T'Challa. This challenge ceremony is just to solidify his place as the King, to legitimize his position as King of Wakanda. T'Challa has the powers of the heart-shaped herb removed from him, as each tribe is given a chance to put forth a challenger to challenge T'Challa for the throne. Each member of the royal family is also given a path to the throne. No member of royal blood nor a single tribe puts forth a challenger. Just then, the Jabari tribe, who do not live under the Black Panther's rule, put forth a challenger. Their leader, M'Baku, played by Winston Duke. M'Baku challenges T'Challa for the throne as he gives glory to Hanuman, who is a Hindu monkey deity who is only worshipped by the Jabari tribe. The other four tribes worship Bas, the panther goddess. The challenge is won by yield or death, as the other Jabari tribe members and the Dora Milaje take their posts, creating a fighting arena of sorts. Uh, during the battle, M'Baku mocks T'Challa, saying how he couldn't even save his own father. At one point, T'Challa can't even see straight, as his mother yells, Show him who you are. This causes T'Challa to fight back, saying that he is Prince T'Challa, son of King T'Chaka. T'Challa pins M'Baku down near the waterfall and demands that he yields, which M'Baku eventually does. This causes T'Challa to officially win the challenge and be crowned King T'Challa, the Black Panther. In the Garden of the Heart-Shaped Herb, T'Challa is given the powers of the Heart-Shaped Herb to restore his powers as Black Panther and enter the Ancestral Plane. In the Ancestral Plane, he is met by his father, King T'Chaka, who is now played by John Kani, the father of Antwanda Kani. Uh, T'Chaka tells his son how a man who hasn't prepared his children for his own death has failed as a father, and how T'Challa will struggle, and he needs to surround himself with people that he trusts. He's a good man with a good heart, and it is hard for a good man to be king. T'Challa leaves the ancestral plane and goes and enjoys his first day as king. Nakia proposes that Wakanda share what they have with the world. Nakia has traveled the world and seen too much struggle and hardship and poverty to just come home and do nothing. She points out to T'Challa, who is still a cautious isolationist at this point, how other countries participate in refugee programs and foreign aid, and Wakanda could do it even better, given their technological advancement and resources. T'Challa points out how they are not like these other countries, and it would be chaos if the rest of the world found out what they truly possess. Wakabi, the leader of the border tribe, played by Daniel Kaluuya, says how if Wakanda brought in refugees, the refugees would bring all their problems with them, and then Wakanda ends up like everywhere else. But if he wanted 
But if T'Challa wanted Wakabi and his men to go and clean up the world, then he'd be all for it. T'Challa responds with how waging war on other countries has never been their way. Meanwhile, in London, Eric Stevens, who we last saw as a kid, he is all grown up now and played by Michael B. Jordan. He seizes a mislabeled African artifact, which is really Wakandan vibranium from a British art museum and their um, West Africa exhibit. He steals the item with the help of none other than Ulysses Claw. Word gets back to Wakanda and the Council of Tribal Leaders convenes as Okoye explains to the Council how Claw stole the artifact and plans to sell it on the black market in South Korea. Wakabi reveals how his parents were killed during the attack on Wakanda way back when and he offers to go to Busan with T'Challa and take down Claw with him side by side. T'Challa says how he needs Wakabi at home guarding the border and they will proceed with their mission. T'Challa goes to Shuri's lab and she shows him her new Black Panther suit. Well, her ideas for a new Black Panther suit, which are embedded into the necklace. It's a really, really cool design. Again, I think you guys got to actually watch these, watch these movies for, for yourself as well. Um, you know, really cool suit. Shuri's upgraded the Camellia beads, which include a neural link where T'Challa can tell his suit to turn on, and it will. The suit also absorbs the kinetic energy from each strike that it receives, charging it up and allowing the user to release the energy at any moment of their choosing. Shuri is on standby in Wakanda in case they will need backup as T'Challa, Nakia, and Okoye travel to Busan, South Korea. Nakia is able to get them into an underground casino disguised as a fish market. While inside, T'Challa notices CIA agent Everett Ross is there, which makes the whole mission even more complicated. We last saw Ross in Captain America's Civil War. Ross explains how he will walk out of the door with the vibranium and that whatever he may or may not be doing on behalf of the U.S. government is none of T'Challa's business. Claw shows up and begins the trade, and just then Okoye says how she's been made, and a brawl ensues between the Wakandans and the buyers. On his way out, Claw uses his sonic cannon arm to blast open the cash register, quote-unquote, making it rain, and sending T'Challa back to the ground. Claw escapes the casino with his entourage, and he is pursued by Okoye and Nakia. T'Challa makes it out of the casino and enables Shuri to drive a car remotely as T'Challa rides on top. The three of them chase down Claw, and just as T'Challa is about to kill Claw out of revenge, they are surrounded by spectators with their cameras out. Adrian Ross apprehends Claw, and they all go to what looks like a CIA black site in Korea. Claw is interrogated by Ross, and Claw tells Ross how he knows about the hidden vibranium in Wakanda, which Ross dismisses, claiming that Wakanda is a third world country and Claw stole all of their vibranium. Just then, Claw is broken out of custody by Eric Stevens, who is wearing a ring around his necklace that was identical to the ring T'Challa was wearing. During the ambush, Agent Ross took a bullet in his lower spine, which saved Nakia's life. Nakia places a Kamoyo bead where the bullet entered, stabilizing him until they can get him back to Wakanda. T'Challa agrees to bring Agent Ross, an outsider, into Wakanda to give him medical treatment. Okoye objects to his decision, to which T'Challa tells her that he is well aware of his duties as king and that he couldn't just let Agent Ross die, knowing that they could have saved his life. We're starting to see T'Challa become less of a cautious isolationist. Uh, back in Wakanda, Shuri gets to work on healing Agent Ross. As she says, great, another broken white boy for us to fix. Referring, of course, to how Bucky was granted asylum there following the Sokovia Accords. 
T'Challa confronts Zuri about how he saw a man wearing a ring identical to his back in Korea. Zuri says how he promised T'Chaka that he would keep the secret to which T'Challa tells him, don't tell me what is possible, tell me the truth. I am your king now. Zuri explains how Prince Ndrobu had taken a war dog assignment in America and it got out of hand. He fell in love with an American woman and they had a child. Ndrobu saw too much pain and hardship in African-American communities. And then in the flashback sequence, we see Prince Ndrobu say, their leaders have been assassinated. They are overly policed and incarcerated and they do not have the tools to fight back with Wakandan weapons. They could overthrow their oppressors and Wakanda could rule them all the right way. He knew that his brother, King T'Chaka, wouldn't agree with him. And when Njobu drew his gun on Zuri, T'Chaka killed Njobu to save Zuri's life. They left the child there to maintain the lie. At an airfield, we see Eric and Claw as they are about to escape. And Eric tells Claw to drop him off in Wakanda on their way back. Claw tells him that he doesn't want to go there, to which Eric responds, to, responds that he does, revealing that he is, in fact, Wakandan. Eric kills Claw and then flies to Wakanda. Back in Wakanda, T'Challa is shocked by the new revelation that he has had a long-lost cousin who was raised in America without a father, and as he is explaining everything to Nakia, she tells him how he gets to decide what kind of king he will be. Eric shows up at the Wakandan border with Claw's corpse as a, as a gift, as like a peace offering, and he is welcomed into Wakanda after revealing his key and showing them the ring identical to T'Challa's. Back at Shuri's lab, Agent Ross wakes up after his bullet wound has been healed seemingly overnight, and Shuri explains to him how she has like a train, almost, that uses magnetic levitation very efficiently. And magnetic levitation, which is kind of an emerging technology in real life. And she explains how like the magnetic levitation on the train in its raw form, vibranium is too uh, reactive, like it's not safe to trans to transport at high speeds, so she found out a way to temporarily deactivate it, so, which I thought was pretty cool. Shuri pulls up a file on Eric Stevens, who has been given the nickname of Killmonger, Eric Killmonger Stevens. Ross reveals to Shuri, T'Challa, and Okoye how Killmonger is an American soldier and a mercenary who served in the Iraq war and racked up confirmed kills like it was a video game. Killmonger shows up in the throne room before T'Challa and the four tribal council members. Killmonger says how he wants to challenge T'Challa for the throne and how he wants to use Wakandan vibranium to liberate oppressed people all over the world and how Wakanda has a responsibility to violently, if necessary, com combat white supremacy on a global scale. Killmonger reveals that his real name is Indijaka, son of Prince Njobu. And how T'Challa isn't the son of a king, he's the son of a murderer. And how Killmonger found his father with panther claws in his chest. T'Challa accepts Killmonger's challenge for the throne, which is at Warrior Falls, the same place that the first challenge ceremony was held. But it is only witnessed by the Dora Milaje and Queen Ramonda, Shuri, Ashuri, Zuri, and the tribal elders. T'Challa gives Killmonger one last chance to walk away and settle this another way. Killmonger says how he has killed in America, Afghanistan, Iraq, and he even killed some of his own brothers and sisters on the continent of Africa, all so that he could get to T'Challa. The challenge begins and Killmonger gets the upper hand despite T'Challa's best efforts. 
The fight is interrupted by Zuri, who says how Prince Ndrobu's death was Zuri's fault and that Killmonger should take him instead of T'Challa. Killmonger kills Zuri and throws T'Challa off of the waterfall, claiming the throne for himself. While in the ancestral plane, Killmonger sees his father and has a moment with him, as Ndrobu reveals how he gave his son a key, hoping that he would see Wakanda someday. After leaving the ancestral plane, Killmonger orders the gardeners to burn the whole heart-shaped herb garden. This was to strip Wakanda of its uniqueness and make Wakanda just like everywhere else. This is also a scare tactic used by JSOC units to topple governments and cause panic right around the time of a change in power. Nakia steals one of the last heart-shaped herb plants and saves it from being burned. Nakia, Shuri, Ross, and Ramunda all go to see M'Baku and the Jabari tribe to see if they can get him to take the herb and take up the mantle of Black Panther to combat Killmonger. M'Baku refuses, and after a funny scene where he tells Ross, the only white person in this scene, <laughs> to be quiet or else he will feed him to his children, a nod to M'Baku's comic book origin as a man-ape, a direction that Marvel Studios decided not to go in uh, for the MCU. Thank God. Uh, M'Baku reveals how one of his fishermen found T'Challa and rescued his corpse from the river and placed it in the snow. Ramonda was able to use the heart-shaped herb to bring back her son, restoring the powers of the Black Panther and sending him to the Ancestral Plane. While in the Ancestral Plane, he confronts his father about killing his brother and leaving his nephew in America all alone. T'Chaka says how they were the truth that he chose to omit. T'Challa yells at the entire ancestral plane saying how you are wrong. All of you were wrong to turn your backs on the rest of the world. We let the fear of our discovery stop us from doing what is right. I cannot stay here with you. T'Challa wakes up in the real world and he is greeted by his mother and sister. Back at the palace, Killmonger takes over the throne and in an upside-down shot that rotates to be right-side up, a nod to how the entire throne has been turned upside-down. During the meeting, Okoye says how Wakanda has thrived for so long by attacking other countries only when necessary. Her own husband, Wakabi, the leader of the border tribe, says how that may be true, but the outside world is catching up, and pretty soon it will be either the conquerors or the conquered. Kilmaga says how... They have war dogs in every nation on Earth, and they will send them weapons to liberate oppressed people all over the world, essentially waging war on the entire world. The world is going to start over, and this time we're on top. The sun will never set on the Wakandan Empire. The meeting is adjourned, and everyone gets to work. Back in the mountains, T'Challa meets with M'Baku, Ross, and everyone else, and regroups. They advise a plan to take back the throne, and M'Baku agrees to grant Queen Ramunda asylum in the mountains, but initially refuses to join the fight. The word gets out to the war dogs, and there's lots of resistance from the, for the cause, but the war dogs in New York, London, and Hong Kong are on board. These three cities are also where the three sanctums are held in Doctor Strange, which takes place around the same time as this film. I mean, you know, if this plan were to get carried out, then you know, it would happen at a very inconvenient time, because this happens maybe a bit before the final battle of Doctor Strange, the exact... MCU chronology is unclear. As the ships are being loaded with weapons and getting ready to be flown out of Wakanda, one of those ships is seemingly struck down. It's revealed that T'Challa is still alive, and he says how he never yielded and he isn't dead, and the challenge must continue. Okoye and the Dora Milaje turn on Killmonger, who 
who has now donned the golden Black Panther suit. T'Challa joins the fight and even stops a rhino in full charge. Okoye, Nakia, and Shuri are fought by the border tribe who surround them and demand that they lay down their weapons. Just then, M'Baku shows up with his Jabari tribe as he yells, Witness the power of the Jabari first hand. Uh, this allows T'Challa to directly fight Killmonger as they head down to the train with the vibranium outside Shuri's lab. You know, outside the Jabari tribe are preoccupied with uh, stopping the border tribe along with the Dormilaji. T'Challa tells Shuri to turn on the train, which will deactivate the vibranium, leaving both Killmonger and T'Challa without any protection. T'Challa tells Killmonger how he has become those who he hates. If his, if his plan follows through, then he will destroy the entire world, Wakanda included. Killmonger says how the world took everything away from him, everything that he ever loved, and how he plans to kill everyone and anyone loyal to T'Challa and bury them in the dirt right next to him. The train turns off, and T'Challa ends the fight by stabbing Killmonger with his own weapon. Killmonger says how that was a hell of a move. His father told him how the sunsets in Wakanda were the most beautiful in the world, and how he grew up in Oakland believing in fairy tales. The two of them go up to the surface where Killmonger sees a sunset. T'Challa offers to heal Killmonger, to which he declines the offer, saying how they would just lock him up. His final words are, Bury me in the ocean with my ancestors that jumped from the ships, because they knew death was better than bondage. In my opinion, those are the most badass dying words said by anyone in film, ever. Killmonger dies, the border tribe surrenders, and T'Challa restores his place as king. He even offers M'Baku a seat on his council. T'Challa travels to Oakland, California, and purchases the building in which his father murdered his uncle, along with numerous other buildings in that same neighborhood. This is the start of a new chapter for Wakanda. This is to fix the mistakes of his father through global outreach. The film ends with Kendrick Lamar's All the Stars featuring SZA. This is a nod to how now the children growing up in that neighborhood will have the opportunities that Killmonger never had. And the same will be true for kids all over the world. All the stars are closer now. The film ends with two post-credit scenes, the first of which is T'Challa going before the United Nations in Vienna, Austria, the same place where his father was killed, to announce that Wakanda will now be opening its borders to the outside world. The rest of the world thinks that Wakanda is a third world country of farmers and is unclear as to what they could have to offer the rest of the world. The second post-credit scene shows Bucky living peacefully in Wakanda, free from his mind control. Black Panther brought us the themes of legacy and forgiveness versus revenge. We have seen the theme of legacy come up before in the MCU, but in this case, it has to do with T'Challa honoring and fixing the legacy of his father. He is attempting to right the wrongs of those who came before him. We see the approaches of forgiveness versus revenge come up in the real world with civil rights icons like Martin Luther King, and Malcolm X. Uh, Martin Luther King was more, you know, let's coexist peacefully, find common ground, whereas Malcolm X 
Although he never openly advocated for violence, he was more firebrand, he was more assertive, he was more, we must demand freedom, demand equality by any means necessary. The Spike Lee film, Do the Right Thing, ends with quotes from both both of these men, both Malcolm X and Martin, followed by a famous photo of the two of them, you know, laughing together. In this film, Killmonger views revenge and a violent revolution as the only way to eliminate white supremacy. He has justifiable motives as he has grown up in America where he has known nothing except struggle and hardship and even had his own father taken from him at a young age. Killmonger is in fact the villain of this movie, but we as an audience can see that he has very justifiable motives. His anger is justified, and although he loses in the end, he doesn't lose entirely. T'Challa starts off this film as a cautious isolationist, as I mentioned before. He wants to keep Wakanda safe and secure. That includes all the vibranium and all their resources, wants to keep it in Wakanda. Early in the film, Nakia proposes the idea of Wakanda supplying foreign aid to other nations and even refugee programs. After T'Challa realizes how Killmonger, who, who Killmonger is, and loses to Killmonger in the challenge, he scolds his ancestors saying how they were all wrong for turning their backs on the rest of the world while in the ancestral plane. After Wakanda's one to two day revolution of sorts, T'Challa learns from his long lost cousin and opens Wakanda to the outside world to share their technology, something that wouldn't have happened if Killmonger hadn't, you know, taken the throne, if he hadn't challenged T'Challa, then Wakanda would have stayed closed off. So in the end, they did end up sharing their technology, but forgiveness won. Patient outreach is what won in the end. Share the resources to be a model for mankind, to look out for one another as if they were all one single tribe. And, you know, we see now that they're sharing their vibranium, you know, all the stars are closer. So that's the real impact that this movie's had on the, on the MCU at large. Wakanda is no longer an isolationist nation, and the world knows what they truly possess. Before I close out this episode, I just wanted to share with you my thoughts on the hashtag recast T'Challa social media campaign. I, along with most of you, I'm sure, was was devastated to hear that Chadwick Boseman had died. You know, he died. He he was really young. He was only like 42 or 43 years old, and he but he did so much great work in his short time on this earth, and he will always be the Black Panther in my eyes. He will always be remembered as the Black Panther. Kevin Feige announced during the Disney Investor Day early last year that he was making the conscious decision not to recast T'Challa in the MCU. I agree with this choice, and I don't think that anyone else would be able to do this role any justice. When you have such really great and iconic roles done by great actors, you don't want that role to be ruined by all these remakes and reboots and unnecessary sequels and I also hope that with the new Black Panther Wakanda Forever, which is already shot and most likely either in post-production or past post-production, that they don't do... Now, we haven't seen any footage of T'Challa in this movie, 
Uh, it's my understanding that he's been killed off off screen in this film as well. And that the film's going to focus more on Wakanda as a nation, like the landscape. And we're going to see different parts of Wakanda and dive deeper into the history of Wakanda in this film, in this upcoming film. But I am really, really, really hoping that they do not do what J.J. Abrams did with Princess Leia in Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker and try to recontextualize, recontextualize uh, recycled and unused footage from the first Black Panther film. You know, that is not how you honor the passing of a co-star. I think that what is best for the franchise is to move on without T'Challa while also honoring his memory and his legacy. The only way that I can see them recasting T'Challa is having a T'Challa come in from an alternate universe. We are currently in the multiverse saga of the MCU, which consists of the current phase, which is phase four, along with the upcoming phases five and six. Phases four, five, and six, that's the multiverse saga. Phases one, two, and three was the infinity saga. So we're moving past the Infinity Stones. And, yeah. I'm super excited for Black Panther Wakanda Forever, and I can't wait to see it when it hits theaters on November 11th of this year, which is soon. So that's a wrap on my review of Black Panther. Let me know what you guys thought about this film. Feel free to comment on my posts on Instagram or TikTok with your thoughts. I love to hear from you guys, and those links are in the show notes below. In current news, I recently rewatched uh, Thor: Love and Thunder on Disney Plus, and I'll be doing an in-depth spoiler review for that movie soon. Once we wrap up the Infinity Saga review series, and you've all had adequate time to watch, or in my case, rewatch the film, check out my spoiler-free, not okay, so no spoilers, my spoiler-free review that I did for Thor: Love and Thunder this past summer. If you haven't already, it's just my initial thoughts. Now, if you haven't seen the movie, don't gotta worry about spoilers. That review is public on, 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 this, on this podcast. Last Saturday, I saw Spider-Man No Way Home in theaters again for a second time, but this time it was the more fun version with extended scenes. I think that Spider-Man No Way Home is a great film. And depending on where you live and when you are listening to this episode, the film may or may not still be in theaters for a limited time. Make sure that you check it out. Check out this film, the extended version and it's it's in my opinion one of the most consequential films of phase four thus far i will review spider-man no way home in a later episode also sorry i didn't post last week guys i just moved back onto campus for my final year of undergraduate studies at the university of bridgeport in bridgeport connecticut i've been busy with school and moving into my dorm over the past two weeks i'm going for mechanical engineering so now that I'm back in school, my uploading schedule might not be as consistent as it was over the summer. I will do my best to release a new episode every Friday at 10 a.m. Eastern time. So make sure that you keep your post notifications on when, wherever you're listening from. Our next film will be Avengers Infinity War, which will see the Avengers along with most of the superheroes that we've met up to this point in the MCU face off against the Mad Titan Thanos in his quest to capture all six Infinity Stones. Stay tuned for that episode. If you like this episode, then be sure to give it a like and share it with your friends and family. And it really helps this podcast grow. I will see you next time at Cops Corner. Peace.